Well, we're continuing our series this morning on the life of Christ. And between now and Easter Sunday, we're going to look at a lot of his miracles, a lot of the parables, his teachings, and take a look specifically how he lived his life. Jesus came to save. He's the savior of the world, but he also came to live and to, that his life would be an example for each and every one of us. Well, today, I want us to look at busyness and rest. And uh, each of you uh, just had uh, your heart stop for a second there. And uh, you know that it's going to get personal. Because if you're like me, your life is busy. Uh, Get a load of this. There's a USA Today poll that was done of 1,200 adult Americans. And I don't think it would be any surprise to you to find out that 70% said they needed more fun in their life and a long vacation. Or I don't know what the other 30% were thinking. Maybe they just got back from a cruise or something. But, but 70% said they often felt stressed in their lives. 50% wanted less work and more play. And they felt pressured to succeed. Well, Jesus tells his followers in Matthew 11, you don't need to turn there, but he says in a very familiar verse, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He welcomes his followers and says, you know what? I want to show you a different way to live. And yet for us, busyness is kind of the calling card of our society. And if we are not busy, generally speaking, people think there's something wrong with us. I don't know if you've ever had this conversation with somebody, uh, but it goes something like this. How are you doing? And what's the first thing out of that person's mouth when they respond? I'm busy. How are you doing? I'm busy. Oh, I'm busy. That seems to be just the, the response that is expected. And if we don't get that response, Somehow, some way, there's something wrong with us or that person. Take a look at Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 23 today. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read in the Scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry. He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. It's no surprise that the Pharisees were getting into uh, Jesus' grill, that they were getting on his case. Uh, They did this often. They were always questioning him. They were always scrutinizing what he was doing. And here, number four of the Ten Commandments was being broken, and they were going to point it out. Number four of the Ten Commandments, that thing that was etched 
not only in stones as tablets of stone, but they were etched in the minds and in the hearts of every Jew during that time. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And here, obviously, Jesus was breaking the law and they needed to point it out. Jesus was in their crosshairs because he was disregarding one of the most important rules, one of the most important laws that there was. Or was he? I think a good place for us to start this conversation of busyness and ambition and and rest and all of the things that go on in our lives. A, A great case study for us is Solomon, King Solomon. If you turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter two, Solomon was this uh, successful person of all successful people. Solomon, his resume is pages long. Uh, you can get into a, 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 um, a historical analysis of his, his palace that he built, and it is amazing just to read about the palace that he built for himself. It took 13 years for his palace to be completed. He built the temple of the Lord, and, and you get into researching and, and, and scrutinizing all the details that he put into the temple of the Lord. Do you know that every square inch on the inside of the temple of the Lord was covered in gold? Every square inch was covered with gold. He had, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 women in his harem. He had more soldiers and armor and fortifications than any surrounding nation. He opened up trade routes throughout the region and prosperity was, was, was thriving within Israel at the time. He had more power and wealth than any of his contemporaries. He truly had everything. And yet, what do we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, in verse 17, this isn't the sentiment of somebody that we would think with all of this success. Take a look at what Solomon had to say. He said, so I hated my life. I hated my life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all of the things that I had toiled for. He hated all of the stuff that he had worked so hard for. He said, so my heart began to despair. Just hold it there for a second. Ever been in a place like that? Maybe you're a journaler. Maybe you write things down. Maybe you just kind of swung your feet over onto, uh, uh, onto the floor, got, getting out of bed this morning or a day this week, and this was your sentiment. My heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. Take a look at verse 22. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days, his, all his, days, his work is grief and pain. Even at night, his mind does not rest. You ever been there? You ever been in a place where your mind doesn't rest? And here is the most high capacity person in scripture and he's sitting there going, all of this is meaningless. 
because it's providing me, yes, with, with success and accolades, but at the same time, it's, it's causing grief and pain, and my mind is not at rest. Life is like that, isn't it? We run and we run and we run. We work and we work and we work. We have commitments and commitments and commitments. We try and we try and we try. And we might make a little bit of headway, but overall there's never an end to what we're called to do. You think about it. This really is us, isn't it? Schedules that we keep. The commitments that we have. The frenetic lifestyle, never stopping anywhere long enough. A severe lack of rest, severe lack of time to relax. And you know what? It's not necessarily bad things. I was talking to Pastor Luke this week, and we were talking about these, the commitments that, that families have and individuals have nowadays. They are not all bad things. In fact, it's an overabundance of good things. It's not cut and dry where we're able to say these things are detrimental to my health these things are are somehow uh, running contrary to the plan and the will of God in my life these are all good things whether it's work and bringing in an income to take care of the things that we have or the things and the obligations or the needs that we have whether it's shopping and cleaning and doing laundry and yard work homework and Work, work. That's what I call the real, real world. How about date nights and family nights? How about church and church commitments and things that are going on around here? Our list is endless. You look at your family schedule and I'm sure you have gymnastics and dance and cheer and basketball and football and soccer and basketball and baseball and 4-H and scouts and fishing and hunting and the list goes on and on and on and on and none of these things are inherently bad. There's just an overabundance of good things. It's no surprise we live our lives enslaved to time obligations and commitments. If you keep a calendar, I looked at my calendar this week and I even flipped back a few months and, and just, I like to color code my, my, uh, my calendar for what's family and what's church and what's certain meetings and obligations. And, and I tell you, my calendar looks like a paint by numbers. It's, it's almost insanity. It's no surprise that we live our lives this way. You'll notice in your bulletin, there's a kind of an antithesis of the shepherd's psalm in there, the 23rd psalm that we know so well. Take out your bulletin and take a look at that. I thought this was an interesting take on busyness. It's going to be up on the screen if you don't have a bulletin, but, but isn't this true? The clock is my dictator. I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me into deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. And even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done, for my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my need for approval, they drive me. They demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My in-basket overflows." 
Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. How many could say amen to that? Yeah. And you know what? We get thinking that this is normal. We get thinking that this is what should drive us. We get thinking that even as Christ followers, this is just our lot in life. But let me tell you that this is not the way that God wants you to live. This is not the way God wants me to live. And there is truly a better way of life. And you're probably saying, well, Darren, how can I do this without completely unplugging and becoming a monk up on a mountain somewhere? Well, you can do it. And I want to give you some tools this morning that will help you. You know, I believe we need to be better at addressing and stopping and taking a look at our lives and taking a look at our schedules. We need to take a look, a serious look at what we're doing and why we're doing and what the priorities are. And you're saying, Darren, you just added about three more things to my schedule. Well, let me tell you, a pastor once told me that it's important and it's essential for each and every one of us to know, and we're going to break it down in a simple way as I know I can. He told me this, he says, Darren, we need to get much better at knowing what fills our tanks and what empties our tanks. We need to get a lot better at at noticing and understanding those things that drain us and the things that fill us. I'm going to draw a little bit here, and uh, I'm not the artist in, in our family, but you could say that your life is kind of like a tank. It's like a tank, and there is an input, and there is an output. There's an inflow, and there's an outflow. And as long as that tank is full, and as long as that tank is, is up to the top, those serotonin levels are, 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 are high, you're, you're emotionally healthy, and as long as things are going well in your life, you can conquer a bunch of things. You can fill up your schedule. Life is going great. You're, you're just running from one thing to the next, and as long as the, the, the dominoes keep falling the way they're going, and there's no hiccups, and there's no curveballs, you can accomplish this and you can, you can go at it as long as, as the day is long. But what happens when the outflow is bigger than the inflow? What happens when the things that are draining you are exceeding the things that are filling you up? Well, that level starts to go down and when it hits that first mark, you start to have an anxiety attack. You ever been there where you have that sleepless night, or you wake up at three in the morning, you wake up at four in the morning, it could be as, as little as a, as a test or an exam if you're a student, it could be maybe a job uh, uh, assessment and how, how well you're doing at work, it could be a meeting with the boss, it could be, it could be something that is maybe a curveball, maybe your, your kid, your boy, or your girl is having difficulties at school and you got to go in and meet with some, some of the administrators and maybe a principal or a teacher or something, and all of a sudden... This anxiety raises and you start to have an anxiety attack. Well, if that continues on, it reaches a level where you have an emotional attack and it starts to affect your emotions. It it starts to affect um, how you're thinking and how you're, you're assessing things. 
It's an emotional breakdown. And when that keeps going down and the output continues to be greater than the input, you get to the point where you have a nervous breakdown. I don't know where you've ever experienced the levels of this tank. I venture to say you've hit probably point one and point two. Maybe some in this room, you've even hit point three. But here's the, the truth of the matter is there needs to be alarms going off in our mind and in our heart and our soul when we start hitting those marks. When we start to have those anxiety attacks, when we start to have those, that, that, that emotional breakdown, when we start, definitely when we have that, that nervous breakdown, there has to be alarms going off. And you know the sad thing about this is what do we tend to do when those, those uh, marks start going down? We make ongoing bad decisions. You see, I said we need to know what fills our tanks. We need to know what empties our tanks. And I think it would be helpful, even if you wanted to do this right now, is to write a list of what fills your tanks and what empties your tank. For me, I love to run. That's something that I do that fills my tank. I love to, to travel and get away with Dana and we go places. I love to, to ride my bike. I love to golf. I love to read, do my devotions. I love These are all things that fill my tank and I can write these things down. In the same way, I got to know what empties my tank. Sometimes meetings and, and, and working on some projects and things with, with, no, definite, with, with no definite ending. Um, There's sometimes where some heavy counseling situations and settings, those are things that really drain me. And I, I have to know what fills my tanks and what empties my tanks. The sad thing is when we hit those where the alarm bells are going off, what do we say to ourselves? I'm too busy, I can't do the thing that fills my tank anymore. I'm too busy to run. I'm too busy to go golfing. I'm too busy to go for a walk. I'm too busy to exercise. And what do we do? We crimp off the, things that's, the thing that's filling our tank and we expand the things that is draining our tank. And we get thinking that if only we work harder and if only we give more, somehow we're going to fill our tank. How insane is that? That's suicide. And yet so many of us are living our lives that way. We're saying, you know what? I am too busy to take care of myself and to look after myself and to slow down and crimp off the outflow I'm too busy that I can't fill my tank. And so many of us are doing that. I think it's important for you to know what fills your tank. I think it's important for you to know, uh, for you to know what empties your tank. And here is the next part of the equation. For those of you who are married, I think it's important for you to know what fills your spouse's tank. I think it's important for you to know what drains your spouse's tank. For those of you who aren't married, I think if you have some best friends and some accountability partners, I think it's important for you to know and to share with your friend or with your accountability partner what fills your tank and for you to know that person's as well. It's really important. I know what fills Dana's tank. The thing that fills Dana's tank is sitting in her studio painting. 
She loves to create. She loves, that gives her life. And yet one of the things, when life gets busy, what, what comes out of her mouth? I'm too busy to paint. I'm too busy to spend time on myself. I'm, I'm too busy to fill my tank. And yet for me to encourage her and to say, you know what, I got this, I got that. How about if you just go paint? For, for her to say, you know what, I know that you got a whole bunch on your plate, but you know, you got to get out and go for a run. You know, you got somebody who's calling you up and wants to go golfing. I know you got a whole bunch of meetings the day after next, but you know what, I think it's the best thing for you to go golfing tomorrow. Yes, you know. But as, as attractive as that is, so often it's the thing that gets pushed off the table first. It's important for us to know what fills our tanks and what empties our tanks. So many of us are on this downward spiral trying to keep our heads above water and we're, dry, we're dying a slow death. And we wonder why there's no joy we wonder why we're in broken relationships. We wonder why we can't navigate problems and resolve things in our lives that need our full attention. Someone once said this, it's, it's when we need to be at our best that too often we're at our worst. And why is that? Because we're dealing with an empty tank. Some would say, easy answer to this is reinstitute the law. Take the Sabbath. Darren, if we'd only get law number four back into our lives, everything would be all right. Why don't we go to the other street? Hey, if only we get all of those Ten Commandments etched. And, and where are those things? We should be having them hanging up on the wall, right? Well, in some ways, yes. But that's what the Pharisees were saying that we've neglected the law, that Jesus was neglecting the law, that Jesus was throwing out all of those things that were healthy and good. But here, what Jesus was saying, that we've, what we've done is we've pushed away from the heart of God. And I believe for each of us, the way to, to focus in on being more healthy and watching what fills our tanks and what empties our tanks is to understand that this just isn't a methodology. This just isn't a formula on how to live life. First and foremost, it has to be an understanding of the heart of God and what He has for our lives. You see, in Mark chapter 2, at the very end of our text there, so then Jesus said to the Pharisees, the Sabbath, so this rest was made to meet the needs of people. You get that? And not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Our obligation isn't to check off the boxes and go, yes, I rested. And God's going to be pleased and he's going to have a big smile on his face. No, Sabbath and rest was created for each and every one of us to embrace because it's the heart of the Father. The Sabbath was birthed in the heart of God for your well-being, for your health, and for your blessing. Let me say that again. It was birthed in the heart of God for your well-being, for your health, and for your blessing. And the sooner we can wrap our minds around it, and the sooner we can embrace it, the more blessing we are going to have in our lives and the more God is going to be at work within us. Do you know you can do more in six days than you can in seven? 
Do you know that you can do more in six days than you can in seven? Do you know that you can do more with rest than you can working 24-7? You will be better off. You will be healthier. You will be more efficient. You will be more effective. And you will have time and space to hear the voice of the Lord. And you'll have time and space for others. You see, this isn't a legalistic requirement. It's rather a model for health and well-being. You see, my upbringing was one where we remembered the Sabbath and we kept it holy. There were certain things that I couldn't do on Sunday. There were certain things that I could, I could not play sports on Sunday. It was a legalistic response. It was, a, it was what our family was about. Coming out of high school, I played rugby in high school. I had an opportunity to play on a club team. And... They practiced and they played on Sunday and my immediate response was, no, I can't do that. Now looking back, that was a legalistic response and that was my upbringing of my family and that is not at the heart of God, but at the same time for us to blur all the lines and say we don't have a Sabbath, we don't have a time, we don't have this space and this rest in our lives is going the other extreme and I believe we need to be cautious about that too. You can do more in six days than you can with seven. I've never regretted not playing on that team. And there have been other things that I've set aside in order to have rest, and I've never regretted those. You see, God logic and God truth and God economy is not our economy. Remember last week we were talking about God opening up and peeling back a corner of heaven so we can see into the spiritual realm that there's much more going on around us and in our lives than we know and we perceive in the human realm. You see, there's a supernatural realm that is not a realm of ours, a supernatural wisdom that is not human wisdom. And supernatural wisdom and supernatural insight and supernatural economy says you can do more by taking Time to rest and time to reflect and time to fill your tanks. I think one of the most famous companies around nowadays, one of the most successful companies nowadays that is practicing not the letter of the law, but instead the concept and the idea of the heart of God is a company that we all know and love called Chick-fil-A. Do you know that Chick-fil-A is the sponsor of the stadium where the Super Bowl was at this year and they were not open on Super Bowl Sunday in the stadium that was hosting Super Bowl? Now, was it a legalistic uh, decision that no, we can't or God's going to be mad at us? No, it was a principle knowing the heart of God and knowing that God was going to bless above and beyond simply by placing a priority on what God was leading them into. Do you know this, that Chick I was sharing with Dana and Gabe last night, Chick-fil-A is the third largest fast food chain in the world behind Starbucks and McDonald's. But do you know what? Each and every single Chick-fil-A store, uh, the income is, I want to say, if I have my, my notes right, 40% greater income per store than McDonald's or Starbucks combined. And they do that on six-sevenths of the time. And you go, okay, that doesn't make sense logically. Exactly. 
That doesn't make sense in the human realm. You should be able to do more with more time. You should be able to, to have more income with that extra day. But everything points to the fact that that's not the case. And once again, we get thinking in our human realm, if only we have an extra hour in the day, if only there were 25 hours in the day instead of 24 hours, if only there were 30 hours in the day, and it, you get what I'm saying? We'd fill them up just like we filled up the 24 and we would be no further ahead. You see, this isn't about legalism. This isn't about saying, you know what, I'm not going to do this or else God is going to be upset and going to be mad at me. It's saying, you know what, I know the heart of God and He placed this here as a, as a model on how we are to live because it's His heart for us that we'd thrive and we'd be healthy and we would honor Him in all the things. My boy Gabe is a runner and he's, he runs almost every day. And I say almost every day. And he's been doing this for the last two and a half years. Every single week. I think he's taken a week off in the last 12 months. But do you know what he does one day every week? He takes one day off. Friday was his day off. He didn't run. He doesn't go training. He doesn't. But you know what? Some people would say, you can do more if you train in that one day, but do you know what? No, that's not the case. You're actually doing your body harm by running and going seven days a week. You need a break. You need time off. You see, the economy of God, it's knowing God's heart and walking with Him. Turn over to Galatians 5. We're going to end here. Galatians 5. This is Paul instructing this Galatian church, and they're just... they're. Uh, they're they're infants in their faith and they're, they're just trying to get a sense on how this all works. And, and look at Paul's encouragement to the, to the Galatian church here. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. That's profound, isn't it? Paul's saying, listen, you're going to have all sorts of cravings. You're going to have all sorts of desires. Your, your flesh is going to tell you this is the way you need to live. But I want to tell you that there is a higher power and there's a higher way of doing things because you are not created just flesh. You are flesh and spirit. You're a spiritual being. And in the supernatural spiritual realm, God wants you to live by the Spirit, not solely by what your body and what your physical being is saying. Take a look at verse 25. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. I tell you, I, I got thinking about that and, and you know, conceited, provoking, and envying one another. That's what happens when we get over busy, right? That's what happens when our tanks start getting drained. We start envying. We start becoming conceited. We start provoking others. Those are things that are byproducts of draining the tank. We become proud and selfish. We become annoying and, and losing self-control. We become discontent and longing even for other people's possessions. Take a look at what Jesus says in Matthew 11. 
in Matthew 11, familiar verse to each one of us, but I want to read it in the message version. I know a lot of you, this is even familiar in the message version, but it says this, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? What is your schedule like? I want you just to scan your schedule, what you've been through this week. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. That sounds good, doesn't it? Walk with me and work with me. I love this part. Watch how I do it. That's what we're looking at over these weeks is we're looking how Jesus lived his life. How he got away and he took times to rest. He, he got away and, and took a breather. He got away and, and spent time with his father. And then this, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And I like those first four words. Learn the unforced rhythms. There's a way that, that life just works. Going back to that previous verse, keep in step with the Spirit, Paul says in Galatians. And I want you to ask yourself, how does that work in my life? Does that mean that, that any ambition is bad and, and pursuing things and pursuing goals and being a high capacity person and filling up a calendar? No, that's not bad. But we need to know and to hear the heart of God. There has to be space. There has to be time where we can fill up our tanks hear from the Lord, know His heart, that this isn't an obligatory, um, uh, manipulative expectation of, of, of check boxes that you need to take this many hours and you need to be this, this where, you know, talking with Dale Helton, he, uh, Pastor Beth's husband, he drives truck for, for a living and, and he's got to keep a log book. And I tell you, the state and the government, it's like, you can be on the road, you have to be off the road. You, have, you can be on the road, you have to, and it is rigid. You can, you can't, and, and that's not what I'm suggesting. But hear me, some of you you're hurting yourself and you're hurting your family. And it's all in the, the line of trying to do what's best and creating for your family something that, that they, they have for years to come. And, and you're working hard and you want to bless them. I understand it's out of a good heart. But sooner or later, things are going to come crumbling down unless we can learn those unforced rhythms of grace and we hear the heart of God and we say no to some good things and we say yes to those things that are going to fill our tanks and we, and we put a priority on things that are going to fill other people's tanks. We say around here at Crossroads, the last thing we want you to do is sign up and, and serve somewhere that's going to be draining. And serve somewhere that's just going to be another task and another checkbox and, and some other obligation. Because that's unhealthy. That's just another thing of busyness on your list. But what each and every one of us needs to do is hear the heart of God. Spend time getting close to Him. 
Spend time and hear me. You'll be able to do much more and you'll be much more effective. And you'll be much more of a blessing to your friends and your family and to those around you. And to this world when you are at your best and God is working in you and through you. I'm inviting you to bow your heads, close your eyes.